Uh, before we begin, I think I need to do a little housekeeping. Okay. Check in on the behind the scenes of the Split Take podcast. Mostly because it it has changed a lot. The the re- the releasing schedule and stuff. I don't know. I don't know how it happened, but I was I was scheduling things out, and I realized the episode record episode we recorded last isn't going to be released for another four weeks, probably. Damn. And that's because last week I didn't get Nick's audio until late, so it was delayed a week. Mm-hmm. And I've been splitting the episodes into two, and the one before that, it was the same episode. So we recorded once, but I released it on two separate weeks. Yeah. So that that's where we're at now, and I'm thinking I'm just going to kind of uh, ramp up editing because I, I don't want to have that much ahead of us. Uh, I don't want to be recording something and then having it publish weeks later. It's That's true. Not a good, not a good practice. I think. No. It's good to have a little, uh, a little, uh, little buffer, room, but not yeah. that much. Yeah. So uh, I think people are going to get a lot of episodes, and <laughs> that's good. I guess. I don't even know which ones are out now. I know. I do know people are listening, so that's that's all that matters. It's all. It's all. It always amazes me when I figure that out. When I when I get actual tangible proof that people are listening, listeners' existence. I I still don't even know. And none of our friends listen. That's just. It's just you know. people. I don't expect them to. Most of the movies we watch would not interest them. They don't even interest us. Well, I I get the sense it's kind of like a Daisuke thing, where I listen to him more for the uh, commentary on the That's movies fair. and his his thoughts and who he is. And so I hope both of us have a personality that well, is worth listening to when it comes to film criticism. Is, uh, it is it's possible. possible. We definitely have personalities. I can't say any more than that. I can't say that they're good. The numbers, the numbers don't lie, Jacob. I am thankful for anyone who is listening. Same. And uh, hopefully we'll get some more people. But yeah. So that, that was my little uh, check-in about the, the release schedule. So lots of content coming up. What? How how long are you into your quarantine? Uh, official. Let's well, say Thursday. Yeah, I've officially been in here for two weeks. Uh, technically, the the quarantine ended on Tuesday because they told me to quarantine for two weeks after my test date, which was two weeks ago. But I t- I got a test two days ago, and I've been waiting for the results, and I'm not going to leave till I get the results because you never know. Smart but move. for two whole weeks, I still feel the exact same. Just more time to watch movies, I guess. You, you've been watching a lot. I have. Yeah. T- too much. Yeah, and I'm curious about one in particular. I know you watched uh, The Tree of yes. Life, Terrence Malick's Whoa, film. Well, that's that's the one I'm curious about. And we'll check in about a few of them before uh, that. I didn't, so, I didn't watch. So what's up? Well, hold on. I'm just going to do a quick run through everything. Um, the Love Witch I watched. Interesting. Have you heard of this one? I have not. I have no idea what this is. It's It was actually on the Criterion channel a few months ago, but The Love Witch is a uh, movie directed by Anna Biller. It is a movie that was made in 2016 about a woman who's a witch who gets men to fall in love with her and kills them. Uh, it's a retro kind of movie. It looks straight out of the late 60s San Francisco type uh, aesthetic. I mean, like, it is insane the level they went to to recreate this aesthetic. It's pretty good. It's got little hints of this 60s aesthetic with, like, some um, Dario Argento-type horror visual flair. It's interesting. 
Um, uh, I watched Bicycle Thieves. I'm sure we'll discuss it at some point, but it was okay. It was. Fun. It's on the list. It was fun. I uh, watched Francis Ha again. Perfect. Um, I rewatched a movie that I really love called The End of the Tour, which is a movie with Jesse Eisenberg and Jason Siegel, where Jesse Eisenberg plays a journalist who is supposed to interview Jason Siegel, who is David Foster Wallace, the writer of Infinite Jest, a book that I've been reading for about a year now. Still amazing. It's like a very low-key version of Amadeus, where you have the the genius who doesn't really want to be a genius and the guy who desperately wants to be a genius trying to follow in his footsteps. It's got that dynamic going on. Hmm. Uh, then I watched, yeah, Book Smart after I watched The Tree of Life. And I'm just going to say it now, it's, it's a masterpiece. The Tree of Life is amazing. The Tree of Life is the closest thing I've had to a religious experience watching a movie. That's what a lot of people say. It's a common reaction to that film. It's... You know, when you the reason I watch movies is to get different perspectives. I want to see people's take on life or these various things like love or or racism or something like that. I just want to see people's view of the world. Never before have I seen not just an insane view of the world, but a view of humanity. I feel like he knows something that we don't. And every aspect of this movie just so well complimented this worldview and this philosophy it sort of dipped at points into like it was the kind of movie at times where i think okay hipsters in a cartoon would be watching this movie as a cutaway gag because you know it has like super planet earthy footage with these hushed voiceover things saying vaguely religious thing which i can see why some people would hate that but it has a, it has this 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 feeling of self-importance that I think it deserves because I do think it backs up a lot of what it's saying with not just the insane visuals. The first like 30 minutes was just the thing is, like, I, I do think it is it, you could call it preachy, although I don't have any negative connotations with that. Mm. And I will also clarify that I don't think you could call it um preachy in the sense like it's trying to convert you to any idea like it doesn't yeah. it's not it doesn't have a philosophy it's trying to get across to its audience it's not being overbearing with what it's trying to say it's not even necessarily trying to say anything in particular moreover no. just give you the feeling of life itself in a way mm -hmm. even though that sounds kind of grandiose and it is a grandiose film and yet it manages to be quite small and i think terrence malick's style doesn't really work for me uh, every single time he does it, I don't think it it follows with some of the content that he chooses to film. Well, how many of his other movies have you seen? I've seen The New World, Badlands. I feel like I've seen another one, but I can't remember at the moment. I've only seen Badlands, and I wasn't crazy about Badlands. Yeah, Badlands is fine, but that's not that's that's nothing. It's not even close. But The New World, that it looks great, but I'm not sure how the visual style really. The New World has a story, and I'm not sure that that jives with his style. Mm -hmm. Ah, I have it. I have the other one I've seen, The Thin Red Line. Oh, I didn't even know that was I need to watch that one again. But the point is, is that his style, which is very free-flowing, kind of evanescent, very ephemeral, it is, it works with what he's trying to do in this film, The Tree of Life, a very metaphysical yeah. film about just thinking. Just ruminating on the ideas of growing up 
of existence of all these kinds of things. And I think his style works well with that. It doesn't work as well with other stories he tries to tell. Okay. Even though it may seem on a surface level, it does. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I just, after I watched it, I, it's, it's a, it's a movie that I've had for a while. I got it for Christmas a few months ago. And it's one of those movies that I'm like, every once in a while I get a feeling before I see a movie where I'm like, I'm going to love this movie. I just know. And that movie has been intimidating me for months because I'm like, okay, this is going to be one of those movies that that there is no current me after this movie. I'm done. I'm changed. And I just I, I knew it. I knew it before I even watched it. And then when I watched it, it was like I was I was justified. I was just like ruined for the rest of the day. I immediately like 10 minutes later watched Booksmart because I wanted something light, you know, to sort of bring me back down to earth. And all I did was think about the Tree of Life, the entirety of Booksmart. And this is this is the first time, maybe when we watched The Cat in the Hat, but this is the first time I really appreciated Chivo. <laughs> it is a transcendent experience in film. And there are very few movies like that. I think you could say Come and See yes. is another transcendent experience. Yep. Um, and it's a very short list. And those are the only two I can say for certain that you you enter the film and you exit the film a very different place. I see. Entered. I would add one more, and I thought it'd be an interesting to make this a double feature because they're kind of similar. Um, Tree of Life and uh, Synecdoche, New York. Interesting. I feel like a they're they're both essentially uh, films about existence, except one of them is informed by twenty years of philosophical studies and a in a strongly um, religious background, and one is just Charlie Kaufman being horribly depressed <laughs> they both gave me similar feelings but tree of life gave me a more hopeful version of the just complete dourness i got from synecdoche new york but come and see is another good one though i think that one's also very different film from tree of life well they're, yes, they're, it, yes the experience is very different you're making me want to watch tree of life again and i have yet to have watched the alternate edit of the film so maybe it's it's time yeah. for me to explore that it's it's um it, well if you want to watch it at some point in the future i because i wanted to watch it too because i read reviews because another reason that I, uh, I wanted to see this movie is because um i know a lot of critics love this one like i i listen to a lot of film podcasts and when the top 10 of the decade came around uh, this one came up a lot the tree of life is going to going to be on the BFI list the next time you make it. Do you think like so? it's one of the few films I can guarantee will be on there, just because it has such a following among critics. Yeah, and well, it's also um, all all the critics I follow also say that the the new version is just as good, and they say it, it has more plot to it, which I thought the original cut had enough plot to it. I mean, it takes that dip in the beginning where it just becomes about. Warp the entirety of existence for like 15 minutes mm -hmm. the dinosaurs were cute i was surprised how well that cgi aged but also i had no idea there's gonna be dinosaurs in this movie it's i think it's the only dinosaur film in the criteria collection <laughs> oh no no the the uh the carl zayman uh trilogy box set oh is that, uh, is that dinosaur it has a one of the films, I forgot its name, has a time travel one, and there's dinosaurs oh. in there. So I can confirm there are two dinosaur films in the Criterion Collection. Oh, interesting. 
But yeah, it's great. It's a masterpiece. I recommend it. One other thing I forgot to um, say is I watched Faces. Ooh, I, this one I'm curious about because it's a Cassavetes. This one have... is, a, is, this is the best Cassavetes I've seen. This is everything I wanted Cassavetes to be so desperately up to this point, and it actually delivered. It is, it is seemingly structureless, but there's a clear narrative under all of the, the scenes of endless acting. The acting feels naturalistic, but the dialogue actually feels like there was a hint of rehearsal before it. Um, the camera work's actually interesting, which has not been a thing so far. Hmm. I mean, it's always interesting just the way he emphasizes faces mm-hmm. and actors and movements and it feels documentary like uh, faces i get it aha uh-huh. it's funny but there's like actual you know simple but effective shot compositions mm. in this specifically towards the end um but yeah it's it's probably my favorite cast of Eddie so far and now i've seen all of them in the five box set except for a woman on the influence which i will wait i am getting this makes it more interesting the whole plot line of Cassavetti's filmography that you we've had very little success with him before and now you have something you really like from him so i'm curious as to what you think of Owen under the influence because that's the one i like of him of his that's the thing though is that i there's a lot of filmmakers who i watch like a few of their movies and i'm like Ugh, this is annoying but very few do i actually pursue the extent i've been with cassavetes hmm. i don't know why i just find him very fascinating no, he's an interesting director, and I have this the same odd obsession with him. On the Criterion channel, leaving this month is Gloria, which is another Cassavetes film, probably a lesser-known work of his. And by lesser-known, I don't know it uh, at all. But I put it in my to-watch list because it's leaving, and I am at the very least curious. At this point, I've watched most of his films, so why not check yeah, I, off? At this point, I'm a completionist. Yeah. Here's another one that we could watch all of technically is uh, Elaine May has only made four films. Oh, I've seen one. So I've seen won- 25% <laughs> of our filmography already. Which one? Elaine May. Is, am I thinking of the- Mikey yeah. and Nikki? Yeah. So you haven't seen Ishtar? No. She did Ishtar. <laughs> she did Ishtar. Oh, I'm <laughs> she excited. She did. That's the movie that stopped her career. <laughs> So I really want to do a Mikey and Nikki and Ishtar <laughs> double feature. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. He's a great talent, but unfortunately. I, I you know, from what I've seen of Ishtar, it doesn't even look bad. It just looks dumb. Dumb dumb in a way that the 80s wasn't ready for. You think we're ready the for 80, it now? The 80s <laughs> I think I think I think we've been desensitized to dumb. I think modern society would look highly on Ishtar. <laughs> if if they watched it more. If they watched it more. I mean, there's a Blu-ray. So I have been watching my... I watched all my blind buys from the Barnes & Noble sale. Mm-hmm. So those are all done. I will wait till the end of the month to talk about those for our, our special... Oh, okay. Uh, Barnes & Noble June 2020 retrospective episode. Um. I I begun my I've begun my journey on the Ingmar Bergman cinema set. I am two movies in. What day did you start though? Uh, the day before his birthday. Yeah. Mm. 
How am I supposed to know? I can't keep track of all these celebrity birthdays. Much less Ingmar yeah, Bergman's just, birthday. You, it's just funny. You're you're so obsessive over what day should I start, and the day you finally started, you were you were that close. I wasn't mad. At, I okay. wasn't that upset. Fine. Obsessed. I was for you. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, all I have to say is I, I am quite happy with my blind buys this this time around. Oh, nice. None of them too bad. Yeah, I also watched to begin our our discussions on one of our impromptu films this week. I watched. Do the right thing, which I got. Yes. In the, for the Criterion sale, so I guess we're talking about this one today because Chandler watched it too. Oh, oh yeah. Chandler's getting his first. Emphasize. I have my. Let's just emphasize. I know we. I know we said it last week. I'm gonna give mine a smell. Let's emphasize. This is one of the best releases they've done so far. It really is. It smells good. The boxes always smell the best, but they do. I like the digi packs. A lot of people don't. Yeah. The I found out the the Parasite release, which they just announced for October 2020, is going to be a digi pack. So that's exciting. Is it really? Yeah. I wonder if the slip cover is going to take off the Morse code. Did you see that? There was a post on Criterion of someone made a a mock up of that, and it looks super good. So I hope it's that's what they're doing. Well, let. let quick tangent okay because okay the parasite criterion was announced recently a lot of people aren't fans of the cover and i think i'm in the boat where i'm not a fan of it because it's it's a very subtle change and it's not necessarily all that indicative of the film itself but at the same time uh i think the actual poster for parasite is already iconic and i can't be mad that they used it again it is a great poster so there have been Criterion covers in the past that have been unacceptable to the online community, which they have been successful in bullying Criterion into changing them once or twice. The Tree Ironically of Life is enough, one of them. Yeah, Tree of Life. Yeah. 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 Have you seen the original Tree of Life cover? It's been so long since that. It's gross. Yeah. Well, it's not gross. It's just, it doesn't make any sense. I didn't care for it. I wasn't, uh, I didn't hate it enough to... To be a part of that whole. Well, that's the thing is, I don't hate enough of any of these covers to be yeah. that mad about. So the the parasite cover, I think, is fine. It's perfectly fine. I think it's a good cover. If that poster didn't exist, what would we think about this cover? And that's a hard question to answer because that poster is so iconic. And I do appreciate the fact that the cover is the Morse code. That's nice. It's a nice little uh, visual representation of the film. Uh, white always looks fancy, so it does. Yeah, I'm not sure it has much to do with the film itself. There's very little white in that film, well, but it I do like it. Feels nice for a Criterion. Like I want to hold it already. Um, yeah. So I can't complain all that much. Well, but part of my theory as well is it would have been nice to get a new design, yeah. but that's it. Part of my theory as well is the fact that um, the movie I think is going to sell really well, the Criterion version, because it's you know it's a hit amongst both mainstream audiences and film buffs or whatever. So I think they wanted to make it as close to the original poster as possible, so it might be easier to market, recognizable. People see, yeah, rec- it's a lot more recognizable. I don't care. Um, movie's still amazing. It's got good features. That's all I really it's care about. It's two discs. So that's... Two discs. It's got yes, a lot of stuff I'm sure it's going to be a sweet, sweet booklet. But the, the black and white version. What? So. Which, usually I don't care about these things, but Bong him, 
Uh, I don't care about black and white versions of movies that exist in color just because I love the color of Parasite so much. But at the same time, um, Bong supervised the black and white version and he's excited about the black and white version. So watch the black and white version. Um, and all that really matters is that they have a great cover for Memories of Murder. Because that's the one I'm really excited about. I'm well, excited about Most certainly they have to design something new. Because there's nothing worthwhile to use. I like the poster for it. With uh, Song Kang-ho and the other guy in the pictures. It's fine. It's nice. Oh, just imagine if it's, it's, they just put the title on the little piece of peach that they pull out of that woman's vagina. Uh, I think I'm going to pre-order Parasite. I haven't done it yet. I might do. The first time I ever pre-ordered a Criterion. Oh, that's not true. I pre-ordered Grand Budapest Hotel. Do pre-orders sell out? Because I feel like they just print as many as they need for the pre-order. Probably. I don't think. No, I don't think they will. Yeah, I don't think they'll sell out. Like it's going to be a, a decently popular item, but I also think you underestimate or overestimate just how many non like criterion buffs are gonna be like oh the parasite criterion no i don't think people are gonna buy i'm just curious in general like how do they when they announce a criterion do they already have like we're going to be printing a thousand copies of this or is it let's see how many pre-orders we have and Mm -hmm. then adjust accordingly um and i don't know because manufacturing is something i have no idea and how long you have to pre-order something there, there are a few criterions on the website that ha- are labeled or listed as out of print. Um, Safe with Julianne Moore is one. It's listed as out of print on the website, and it only came out like three or four years ago. So I don't know how it works. The Zatoichi set is listed, uh, not as out of print, but unavailable. And probably for the best, because I, I was considering getting that along with the Ingmar Bergman set. Because I, I love oh, my no. samurai oh, no. films, and uh, I can't stop myself. But I haven't been back to Barnes & Noble, and it's... I would, I would get... It's helpful that I don't live anywhere near one. Yeah. I would get the Lone Ranger and Cubs set. It's a good one. That one looks nice. I, I highly recommend the second one for its weird editing. Oh, really? It's not, it's not, not all the same director? No, it's the same director. I think I think they just took more. I don't know. I don't know too much about them. Do we want to try something? Because we are we are out of sync on this call. But I believe uh, <laughs> we went into a Criterion rant. But I believe we were talking about do the right thing. Right, you were talking about do the right thing, which has a great Criterion. And what makes a great Criterion is that they they put a lot of effort. And with Criterions, is they have a lot of options for original design stuff. So you have not just the cover, you have the inside little booklet, which is its own thing they have to design and make look nice, which they have succeeded in doing so here. And then they have the little, the Digipack uh, container, which has a little view of the street, the the fruit and veg uh, delight stand, and the discs. The discs are in and of themselves a uniquely designed wonderful thing all the different parts successfully designed in a way that mm-hmm. i like to i like to look at it yeah you know it's, it's one of my favorite releases it's 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 pretty perfect and i own the uh dvd the uh, criterion it was one of the first criterions i bought actually because it's one of my favorite movies and um 
yeah it's it's a lot of the content that's on the dvd version is on here but they just doubled the amount of stuff that was available and everything about it i mean the original criterion dvd is not that interesting looking it's kind of just a shot of mookie with some black stripes over it um but no this one this one is the gold standard of criterion releases it's up there with some of the best um as far as the actual special features go it's very interesting very interesting um behind the scenes like the making of because it wasn't until i did you watch it at all no i i only had time to view the the feature film it's interesting to me because a lot of this movie was shot on a real street pretty much no the entire movie was shot on a real street so they had to find a um specifically a north south um facing street because that gives you a lot of options in working with sun because it just rises over the building um pretty much any time of day you can get a good amount of different shots just because of uh where the sun is according to the buildings but they essentially had to like redo an entire street they had to paint every building. They had to construct thing. They constructed Sal's Pizzeria. That's a completely constructed sex. They needed to tear it down. Um, a lot of people who were living there got like free home renovations out of the set because they needed it to look a little bit better. It was kind of a not so great area, so they had to make it you know look nice. Um, but yeah, a lot of it was real, shot on location. Just a huge street that they went ahead and remodeled and they built a pizzeria they they tore it down they set it on fire and it's it's very interesting because it's it's a relatively small movie but that particular behind the scenes it there was a lot of work put into just creating this entire fictional street which is now named do the right thing boulevard which is pretty interesting as well um yeah so this is one of your favorite films and for me uh a bit more complicated history with it. I think Chandler and I have had discussions about the film and its merits. And I think in the past I have come off as more of a detractor of the film than I actually am. I had given it four and a half stars on Letterboxd. It's a great film. I think undeniably so. And this time around, I liked it more. I am very close to giving it five stars, but not there yet. And I'll tell you my two, my two things. The one thing that I, I found weird about the film the first time around is that I felt from a more modern perspective that it just felt very almost too theatrical to me. Recent events have proved me wrong uh, and have brought me out of that little bubble. I think recent events have made this film just as important as it uh improved its its continuing importance well can i bring up one counter argument sure well in the, in this idea that the the racism here is more overt it's a little more theatrical um i think you could argue that the presentation of the film being so vivid and colorful and and very direct in its design and cinematography i think that would necessarily it would it's not like something it's not like a realistic looking film with unrealistic depictions of racism it's an unrealistic world with a little bit of a theatrical twist on racism yeah which is something they actually talked about in the commentary a lot was yes i you, you just didn't give me enough time to get there because it's the the opening oh credits. sorry no it's fine it's fine you, you made the point and the opening credits are over a the backdrop of the set is projected behind dancers. Yeah. And it it is. It's very 
theatrical in that sense. And it is stylistically an amazing film. Certainly one of the most stylistically interesting things that has been produced in America. A decidedly unique voice from Spike Lee, who doesn't really get it right all the time, unfortunately, because he gets too no. too caught up in his own uh, <laughs> preachiness. I'm going to call yeah. it preachiness. And preachiness is fine. It's no, he's not a subtle filmmaker at it's all. It's important for films to have a point of view, because your film's going to have a point of view whether you like it or not. Uh, and you need to mm-hmm. factor that in. But I think sometimes he goes a little too far with that. And we talked a lot about that in the uh, the Five Bloods review. So see that yeah. conversation. But th- with this movie, with this movie and the, the lack of subtlety, I, I feel um, with this one specifically, it is an issue that is very important that obviously he didn't want to leave up to perceptions of the viewer or judgments. So I think with something this important and this relevant, it's it's probably the better route to go more overt and in your face just so there's no room for error in judging what it's about um but this is like the one time for me that the insane attitude the the in your faceness works so well whereas something like black klansman the the in your face elements were like cringeworthy to me or even another one i really the only two spike lee movies i really really like are this and the 25th hour which i think is amazing Everything else has that same energy, but the the aggressiveness of it is something that I think is annoying. But this is perfectly aggressive. You know, you say that you don't he's not leaving it up for audience interpretation. I think he is and he isn't in certain respects and regards mm-hmm. in this film. Because I was struck, particularly on this time, how sympathetic a character Sal is. And just the the ambiguities of what does it mean to do the right thing, particularly when Mookie does throw that trash can. And the film has yeah. a, a position to say on that, but it doesn't really make that clear. There is a lot of little tiny moral and uh, ethical things that are left to discussion and interpretation from the viewer. Yeah. And they're tiny. They're little things. Like the the wall of pictures is never mm-hmm. no official, like, definitive kind of statement or moral judgment is made on that it's very kind of muddied and murkied yeah it is such it's such an interesting film i love it i love it a lot more than i I did the first time in fact i've seen it 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 was so long ago when i watched it the first time i don't really know what i thought about it at that time like it's passed out my opinion has Mm -hmm. been forgotten so the only thing that i find um not worthy of five stars the only thing holding me back is that I think it is, like most films, has a pacing problem somewhere around the mid-second act. Yeah. Um, there, there are two things that bother me about this movie. One of them very specific and one of them very general. Uh, this one, this time around, I, this is a little better for me, but I've never found Spike Lee's performance all that great. I think for a character that's so heavily featured in the narrative, they should have had somebody who's a little bit more... You know, on the same level as someone like Giancarlo Esposito and Danny Aiello. God, um, but Giancarlo you know, this Esposito. time around, I great guy. He's so I mean, great in this. Movie. It, it took me a while to figure out that was him. One, because I know him mostly from Breaking Bad, but but still, great actor. That was 
and one other shot that always bothers me there's the scene where Mookie's putting the ice on um, mm-hmm. Rosie Perez Tina mm-hmm. there's just one shot where it's literally like it's just her boobs <laughs> And you know the other shots. There's no the, nudity in the entire rest of the film. No, the other shots. There, there was, re- you know, the way that he traces the ice along her body. I'm like, okay, this is nice. It's sensual. It's you know interesting. And it's just a cut to just her boobs. I don't even think the ice is there. I'm just like, why? Whatever. <laughs> you get the sense of the plot, knowing the plot, and knowing that it's about the boycott of cells and of the eventual, eventual. Uh, police killing of Radio Rahim, that there is a point near the late afternoon, early evening of the film where the movement of that kind of slows down and the film pays attention to other things, which might be morally or intellectually interesting, but I don't think they necessarily fit within the the structure and pacing of the film. Yeah. Because none of it was wasted. No, it's, it just uh, could have been maybe tightened just a tiny bit. Yeah. Um, one character that I've found, I find interesting more and more interesting every time is uh, Stephen Park's character, the Korean grocery store owner. Mm. You know, good old, good old Mike Yanagita. I always forget he's Mike Yanagita. <laughs> I didn't know that. He's in a lot of stuff. The more you know. Wow. Look at that. He's Mike Yanagita. From Fargo. He's Mike Yanagita. He is... Oh, from Fargo, yes. <laughs> he hold on, I gotta check because I'm always surprised when I see his uh, filmography. Uh, he was in Snowpiercer as well. Um, he is going to be in the French Dispatch. He's one of the main characters of French Dispatch. Um, yeah, yeah Mike Yanagita. Uh, you know, obviously, there's that scene with him in Radio Rahim where he goes to get the batteries. Uh-huh. Um. And Radio Rahim's antagonistic, but then he blows up in his face and he's like, yeah, you're all right. You're all right. So later when Radio Rahim dies and you used to get that shot where the camera's in the back of the police car and you see him driving off, uh, there's everybody who's angry and mad. But then you see um, the, the, the Korean grocery store owner who looks more upset than anybody and he slaps the back of the car. And I was just like, oh, this man who even though he is constantly being belittled by the people in this community he still feels this pain that they do and i think that one little moment where ray rahim's like you're all right sort of made them connected in a way but yeah he's a, he's an interesting guy especially at the end when he's like i'm white or i'm not white i'm black i always found that scene very interesting but he's a great actor i, I do quite enjoy that man but yeah great movie one of my favorites uh where is it on it is on the afi list isn't it because if it isn't, that's a crime. Yes, it is on the AFI list. Yeah. Well, let's find out. Because it, it's it's it might deserve to be on this list. Let's be honest. But I think so. The, this we'll list being the BFI we'll to our discussion. Uh, BFI, BFI. Yes. Right. Uh, sorry, let me look this up real quick. Uh, do the right ninety six. That's too low. What when was that last update? Two thousand seven. Yeah, this is the 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 tenth anniversary, which. 2017 rolled around and they did not do a 20th anniversary so that's big sad yeah i don't yeah i don't know maybe maybe we'll do it for 2022 no it's you know for it has a few flaws but i think no movie is incapable of having or i think every movie has a flaw to somewhat some degree but i do think it's one of the most american movies ever made 
one of the greatest American triumphs. It's a solely American video. Well, I guess racism is pretty universal, as we'll get yeah, to, but to in the next the, few films. This but depiction of racism is something that only could be done in yeah. America. I miss this Spike Lee. Spike Lee's a funny guy, <laughs> but I miss this Spike Lee. I think I'm going to try to watch Malcolm X here soon. That's another one I think I'll like. Now that length of movies don't scare me anymore. How long is Malcolm X? Three hours long. Oh, wow. A little over three hours long, yeah. Now I have to watch it. <laughs> I've seen a few scenes from it, and every time I see a scene from it, I'm like, this is really good. I, just, I haven't watched the whole thing yet. Three hours, 20 like minutes. Those... Wow. Three hours and 22 minutes? My God. Don't, don't, what? Where are those chimes from? That that was me. That was my alarm I set for yesterday when I took a nap. Uh, so that that was uh, do the right thing. One of three movies we're talking about in this <laughs> recording session. 